Hey, good morning, Springvale. Why don't you come on a ride with me and we'll discover what God's Word has to teach us this morning. On July 30, 1945, after transporting the very first atomic bomb that was made from San Francisco to Tinian, a small island in the, of the marinas in the South Pacific, the USS Indianapolis, the pride of the U.S. 5th Fleet flagship, huge battleship, was heading through the Philippine Sea and was heading into battle. A uh, Japanese submarine had gotten sight of the uh, Indianapolis, which was traveling alone without any escort, and torpedoed in it. In 12 minutes, this massive ship sunk. 300 of the 1,200 men that were aboard died in the explosions. The other 900 were able to get into the water. But due to incompetence and bad communication, those men languished in the water for almost five days under the heat of an unbearable sun and the attacks of multiple sharks these men suffered and died and only 312 of them actually were rescued it was the worst disaster in the u.s naval history uh, machinist second class granville crane writes, men began drinking salt water so much that they were delirious. In fact, a lot of them had weapons like knives and, and they'd be so crazy that they'd start fighting amongst themselves and killing one another. And then there were others that drank so much salt water that they were seeing things. They'd say, the Indy is down below and they're giving out fresh water and food in the galley. And then they'd swim down, take off their life jackets and swim down and a shark would get them and you would see the sharks eating your comrades. It began to get hopeless. They thought they would be rescued in hours, but as hours and days lingered on, men began to suffer from the delirium and from the heat exhaustion and the fatigue and the despair. And they began to turn inward and just die. But there were a few that handled it very differently. Instead of turning inward, they began to go around and do rounds with the men that were floating in the water. They would consistently, each hour or every hour and a half or two hours, go around and say, Are you okay? Is everything okay? We're going to make it. Stay with us. We're going to be rescued. And they kept encouraging them. Rather than turning inward and spiraling downward, they turned outward and took care of the men that were around them. When they were finally rescued, it was the men that had turned outward that were in the best physical, emotional, and mental shape of all the men that were there. You see, there's this crazy paradoxical reality that when we turn inward on in a difficult time, we actually begin to spiral downward and get hopeless and despair. But when we turn outward, we gain strength. Focusing outward brings inward strength. And that's what Paul shows us in the middle of the trial that he's facing and the test that he's going through in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And Paul writes, So when we could stand it no longer, 
We thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, and spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. And here's Paul. I mean, he's the, the, the beatings on his back, the blood and the sores are still oozing from the beating he took in, in Philippi. And then he's suffering under the humiliation and the, um, the discouragement of being attacked and run out of Thessalonica. And then the same thing happening to him in Berea and being forced to come 200 miles, flee to Athens, south of all these cities, in order to get some sort of refuge. Only having just planted a church and preached there for three or four weeks. And, and even in the midst of, of all the pain that he was in, he's most concerned about them. He's most concerned to strengthen, encourage them in their faith. See, outward focus gives an inward strength. For you know quite well that, that we are destined for these trials. Just think about it, that Paul is saying that's just part of being a follower of Christ. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that you would be persecuted. And it turned out just that way, as you well know. So for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that labors might have been in vain. Two things I want you to notice in this passage. One, Paul says we should expect that if we're going to be followers of Christ that there will be trials. And then he links it with this thought that the tempter is at work through these trials, tempting us so that Paul says that his labor would be in vain, meaning tempting us to walk away from Christ, to stop fulfilling the purpose that he's given us. I think what we sometimes forget is we're part of a bigger picture in this world. Uh, our world is a lot bigger than us and the times that we live in. That when God first created this world, he put Adam and Eve into the garden and he gave Adam and Eve the responsibility of this garden. And he said to them, if you remember, multiply and go forth, fill the earth and multiply. And that was their mission. But they allowed Satan into the garden and Satan convinced them to turn against God and to sin and break relationship with God. And as a result, Satan usurped the authority that comes, that was given to Adam and Eve. And he is, that's why he's called the God of this world and the ruler of this world is because he usurped the authority that God had given to Adam and Eve. Well, Jesus, and he controls, by the way, the thinking and the culture and the mindset of the world. And people, that's why we say people, the scripture says people are in darkness. Well, Jesus came as the second Adam. He came as a man. And the reason he came as a man was he came to restore what had been lost, what man had lost, what God had given. And so in a decisive victory on the cross where he totally shattered Satan and his power, breaking the power of death, which scripture says Satan used to hold us in bondage. Jesus breaks the power of death and he frees mankind to be able to be reconciled back into relationship with God and restored to the glory that we were given and even more so the glory that we share with Christ. And so now Jesus gives those that claim to be his followers, those that say that they have received Jesus as their savior, a mission. 
And that mission sounds a whole lot like the first mission that was given man, and that is to go through the entire world and make the rule of God known, make the message of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, and the rule of God known throughout this whole world. And of course, what that means is we're stepping into a world where Satan has controlled, and we're going to fight him. And the result of being in a war and in being in a battle is that you're going to be attacked sometimes. That's normal for a Christian. So we see in Acts chapter 19, verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. You see that battle that's happening there uh, between good and evil, between Satan and this world and, and God's people. And some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. And they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. Imagine they're, they're casting out uh, demons from people that have been in bondage. Uh, we don't talk a whole lot about that, but the reality is Satan holds people in bondage uh, and in darkness. And we are called to break that bondage through the preaching of the gospel, the boldness of standing against and fighting against the evils of this world. Well, the seven sons of Siva, Jewish high priests, were doing this as well. And one day an evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. And he gave them such a beating, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. And it's very interesting in this is that that. Jesus, the name of Jesus and the ministry of Paul were able to control and overcome demons, but the world has no answer for the demonic. And uh, the demonic has no, the demonic has authority over the world because they usurped it, but they have to submit to the authority of Christ. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held high and honored. See, that's the whole point of spreading throughout the world is to exalt the name of Jesus so that in Jesus people can find freedom from the darkness and the, the imprisonment that Satan brings. Many of those who believed now came openly and confessed what they had done. That's a sign of a true revival is that people are open and confess the truth about their lives. They don't hide it. You know, that's one of the problems that we have as a church is that we think we're supposed to hide our sin because we're embarrassed by it, we're ashamed, or, or that's what Christians do, we're supposed to be perfect. That's a lie. The truth is, is Christians are those who openly confess because in Christ there's forgiveness and healing from those sins. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their skulls together and they burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, which is a huge amount of money. And uh, these people were turning, repenting away from evil. In this way, the word of God spread widely and grew in power. You see, there's that constant battle that has happened. I think Luke tells this story to show what Paul was referring to in Thessalonians, to show us that there is a battle going on and that wherever Satan is working, there will be conflict and there will be attack. It could be words that Satan uses against you. It could be lies or slander or uh, just mean things that are said to you or about you. And that's Satan's way to try to discourage you. It could be a person in position, a professor who uh, really attacks your project because you're a Christian or a boss who doesn't like your, your stand for Christ and so stands against you and uses his, his or her influence against you. 
It could be people in an organization that won't let you be a part of the organization, have a role in it, to serve, to help out because you're a Christian. It could be relational uh, conflict, in date, like in dating or in marriage, or problems with your children or in your spouse. Like Satan is at work to, when you stand for him to cause you uh, pain, to keep you distraught, to keep you from moving forward in Christ. That's his goal. That's what he wants to accomplish. You see, Satan's goal is to dishearten and to discourage and to destroy our confidence in Christ. But we see Paul's example of how he handled that under the conflict that he was facing and in his encouragement to the Thessalonians. He turns outward and he finds that inward strength. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and he's brought good news about your faith and your love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and you long to see us just as we long to see you. I read that and I thought to myself, well, why is Paul so excited that they're, they want to see him? It's, it's like he's saying, well, you want to see me, you want to see me, this is great. And then I thought about that. And I thought about what we've been just talking about. And I realized what Paul's rejoicing in is that the fact that they're excited to see him means they're not blaming him. See, when we get into troubles like that, it's easy to blame somebody. And we focus on, you know, who's the fault? Who caused this? And if that was the case, if their heart was bad and they really had been overcome by Satan, they would have uh, blamed Paul. Why did you bring this on us? Why did you bring this here? It's your fault we're going through what we're going through. But instead, they respond, that, oh, we can hardly wait to see Paul, which tells Paul their heart is right, that they know that these are real uh, trials that they're going through, but, but it's just part of being a follower of Christ. And so Paul rejoices that their attitude is right, that, that they're looking at it in the right way. And so then he goes on and says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. In the middle of all that we're going through and the struggles, it's, it's as we turn outward to look at you, our encouragement comes from you, from you, what's going on in your life and how God is working. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. That's what gives us joy. That's what gets us up in the morning is that you are standing firm in Christ. You are following Christ. Uh, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we have in the presence of our God because of you. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. And it's amazing what Paul is saying here is, is that it's, it's what's happening in you that brings us the joy. As we turn our focus outward to you, that brings great joy to us. Now keep in mind, as I already said, that Paul still has the welts on his back from the beatings he took in, the, in Philippi. And then he comes to Thessalonica and he's attacked and lied about and accused, falsely accused and slandered and then forced to flee from Thessalonica. Then to Berea, same thing happens there. Then he has to flee to Athens. And not, if I were him, I'd be sitting in Athens going, okay, God, I did all that I can. And is this is the way that you're going to repay me for being faithful and preaching the gospel? But that's not his heart. His heart is what's happening to those believers. And he gets great joy in the middle of his pain. His joy is coming from those that he's focused on. See, that outward focus brings an inward strength. You know, there's a Chinese proverb that says, if you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. 
If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. But if you want happiness for a lifetime, help somebody. An outward focus brings an inward strength. You know, Paul's outward focus uh, ought to make us ask ourselves a question. And here's the question. Am I focused outward in the middle of this COVID test or in the middle of my test? Or do I tend to be inward? Is it possible that the fear and the anxiety and the discouragement that seems to be really affecting me, is it possible that the reason it's having so much control in your life is that you're more inward focused rather than outward focused? And so you're spiraling down. And that Paul's example is, encourages us, challenges us to begin to look outward at others. You know, that's one of the things I've been really, really proud of our staff for. That is how they, in the middle of having to deal with children and have to deal with the pressures of things changing all the time and, and the, the pressures of people's expectations on them. And when the government tell them they have to stop everything and they find something new to do and then that has to stop, they have continued to focus on the care of the people that are entrusted to them. Like I think about uh, Andrea, she has provided us an opportunity. She went around and dealt with all those organizations and led us to be able to give toward them and bless them and have an impact on them. And I think of, of uh, community care as, as they have been serving meals and, and care and flowers and helping people with finances. It's been amazing what they have been doing, consistently, constantly helping people. I think of a, our kids' ministry, constantly finding new ways. When other ministries that other churches are shut down doing nothing. Ours is out there trying to find new ways to connect with kids and with families. And our youth ministry have been faithfully going on, helping and reaching out to our, our youth, helping them, trying to help them to walk through this reality that we as adults don't know how to face and, and they are getting it even worse than we are. I think of, of our adult ministry, our life group ministry, where where uh, we are seeing constant attempts like digging deeper that's coming up or just happened last, yesterday and and uh, the life group meetings and constantly helping our leaders to provide a place for people to connect and, and dealing with all the restrictions that come with that. And then our worship ministries, pr- putting on services. It's been a, over a year and we've been doing services, transitioned to doing services online. The hard work they've been doing and understand they're facing the same pressures that we're facing. And yet, they're focused on the needs of the church and the rising to the occasion. An outward focus is bringing an inward strength, a strength that God is giving them as they focus on what God has called them to do. I think they're a good example for us, a good example that we ought to be focused outwardly. In fact, the next verses are prayer. And, and I want to pray those over you. Would you bow your head so... As I read these verses, they become a prayer for us. Now may our God and our Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as our love overflows for you. May may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Amen.
Now, before we close, I just want to challenge you to ask yourself, how am I going to put this into action? Today, this week, how am I going to turn outward rather than turn inward? Maybe you need to pray. I mean, really pray for somebody in your family or in your circle of influence is really hurting. Maybe a couple people where you're going to spend regular time interceding for them every day. You're going to pray. Or maybe you're going to pay. Maybe you're going to give some money to some people that are hurting or have some needs. And you're going to say, here, I'm going to give this money because I'm going to focus on them so I can encourage and help them in their need. Or maybe you're, you can give some food to some people, deliver some food. Just say randomly, God, who would you have me deliver food to? And ask him. And when a person comes to your mind, make some cookies, make some squares, make some, I don't know, whatever you make. That's good. Make sure it's good. And send it to somebody who to say, hey, I care about you. I'm thinking about you. Maybe it's something simple like calling or texting and saying, hey, I'm thinking of you. I'm praying for you. Or I just want to call and see how you're doing. Or it could be listening. You know, the value of listening, a way to focus on other people. When you're in a conversation and you are more concerned about what they have to say than what you get to say, that is turning outward. Maybe God is calling you. Why don't you call some of these people and just listen. Listen to how they're doing. Let them have an opportunity to unload and share their heart. You know, turning outward brings an inward strength. And I think of that, that really applies to our my four. You know, our my four are those people that we've asked God to use us to reach. And if you don't have my four yet, or maybe you already do, I would really encourage you to look around at the people. It doesn't have to be the people you're closest to. It's the people God is calling you to reach. And there's something that, there's, there's something that, that seems to me where God seems to be working in people who are in pain or who are in transitions. People who are hurting because of something that's happened to them or in their life. Or people that are going through transition. Maybe they're moving or maybe they're leaving a relationship, leaving a marriage. Maybe something's shutting down. Their kids are leaving their home. Maybe their health is transitioning or changing. Maybe they're losing a job or starting a new one. It seems when that, those transitions that people are, are hurting and that's where God seems to be. And maybe there's somebody in your life that's going through pain or a transition and you go, God, they're my, my four. They're the person I'm going to intercede for. I'm going to invest love in them and I'm going to invite them when I get the chance as you lead me. And maybe they're your party or my four for a month or a couple months. And then God will lead you to somebody else. But who is it that you're going to focus on? Remember, that's what the mission is that God, Christ has given us to go and bring the name of Jesus to everywhere in the world. What about in your world? So as we go into this week, as we continue now, we've been told in a lockdown for two more weeks beyond where we are. Focus outward, not inward. And then God will bring an inner strength.